exciting. This is Four Color Radio, where the notes meet the page. And good evening, one and all, to another episode of Four Color Radio. I am your host, Jay Bardella, and it is my privilege to be here broadcasting Again, uh, live from the Origin Road Studios in Sherwood Park, and uh, we are streaming live on Sound Sugar Radio, so there's a pretty good chance that uh, there's at least one or two people listening, probably with the name of Phil, um, and, and maybe a few others. Who knows? Uh, maybe Who knows? I'll be surprised, and somebody will pipe up and say, yeah, I listened to your show, and you were okay. I'd be like, great. That's uh, set the bar in the middle. You never fall too far. It's not too hard to leap over. Does that make sense? Sounds good. Reach for the stars. That way, even if you miss, you'll be floating aimlessly in space. <laughs> as high as we could hope Jeff Bezos is doing right now. So That's <laughs> just the dream. Only aimlessly floating in space. Uh, before we get, this is going to be probably a ridiculous episode, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but before it gets too ridiculous, uh, I would like to acknowledge that the show is being broadcast from Treaty 6 Territory, the traditional lands of First Nations and Métis people. Uh, And uh, on that note, as we continue forward, I would like to introduce uh, my guest with me tonight, uh, Ali Thompson, who is a friend of mine. We've known each other for almost a couple of decades now. Uh, We're going on some some good long history together, which has been fantastic and weird and delightful. And I'm, I'm super glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Glad to be here. And yes, we have had some times and I'm uh, happy to be here in the studio. There's a lot of cables and I enjoy that. (laughs) There is. There's cables, um, soundboards, there are instruments. It is truly a studio uh, to behold. I enjoy things and there's things here. There are many things here. Speaking of things, uh, the show is a thing. and, And I asked you so like, hey, would you like to be on the show? And you said yes. And I said, cool. Um, do you need a list of like soundtracks? And you went, no, nope, uh, I want to do Atomic Blonde. And I was like, where'd that come from? Like I didn't even, on my list of soundtracks to cover, uh, Atomic Blonde didn't register on my radar. It's not, uh, it's based on a comic called uh, The Coldest City, um, which is not a mainstream comic by any stretch of the imagination. Um, a little bit older, you know, from 2012, um, low print run, you know, an author who's known for doing kind of more obscure stuff, but it, like you didn't really hesitate, uh, when you picked the soundtrack, what was it? What was it about it? Um, well, it's, I will confess I didn't read the comic until after seeing the movie, but, uh, just from the first time I saw the trailer for the movie, it just spoke to me. It's, um, it's the first movie in a long time that I felt that I was actually the target demographic for. Oh Yeah. Like, you know, you look at it and, you know, there's Charlize Theron, there's John Goodman, New Order and Eurythmics in the trailer. It's in Cold War Berlin. There's bisexual lighting. Come on. 
<laughs> there's, there's, it's checking off so many boxes. It is. I'm like, <laughs> how could this be more suitable for me? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. It's great that you, that there's things that people can connect to so instantly from a trailer, a movie trailer, which is fantastic. And like, as you mentioned, the, the film based on the book is set in the cold war. It's set in, in Berlin and Germany. So of course, a lot of the music that we're going to listen to tonight is kind of from that era, from that, that time and a lot of German acts as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff actually from a few years before, which kind of checks out. Cause back then, you know, it would take a few years for something to get over the wall, right? Like it's <laughs> the, well, well, musically. Yeah. Like, like you wouldn't have the, the most current hits over there. Like, in 1989, uh, East East Germany wasn't jamming to rock sets. The look, right? Like they, were, <laughs> they were not. <laughs> sadly, <laughs> no. Then they eventually got it, yeah. and I'm sure they were th- very happy. Oh, I'm sure they were thrilled. And I know, and I know, one of the Phils is probably going to be very excited that we made a shout out to Roxette because he's a huge, huge Roxette fan, um, multiple times over. Excellent. So, Phil, that's that shout outs for you, buddy. And and another thing I I really liked about it is um, I don't know for a lot of people they'll they'll say that the fall of the Berlin wall is a major event in their lifetimes, but there's, I only know two other movies made of about that time in Berlin and only one's in English and had a major release over here. So I think it's an untapped thing. And as a history nerd, I appreciate that kind of, it's an untapped resource as far as setting goes. Well, perfect. That's, that was very intellectual and not as goofy as, uh, as I expected it to be. Sorry. That's, that's okay. We'll fix it later on. We'll clean it up in post. <laughs> Let's get right into the music. Um, so uh, Atomic Blonde came out in 2017 based on a novel in 2012, but the music is all set in the 80s. And the first track that you had uh, selected for us is by the one and only David Bowie. And uh, the song is called Cat People. Parentheses, putting out the fire. Parentheses, putting out the fire. So let's get rolling with things on Four Color Radio here with a little bit of David Bowie. I've been putting up fire 
<laughs> All right. We've, uh, oh, hang on. <laughs> hey, Allie, can you fill some air for me? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm just here going to uh, stall a bit on our uh, flawless victory over the machinery here. Oh, my goodness. So good job, Jay, for crushing it. We are, uh, well, we, we canceled the country music, but apparently not soon enough for most people. Um, and apparently we haven't been on the air since the end of the Bowie song. The first song. The very first song. We so are, that's neat. We are 45 minutes into the show. We've been doing the show here. The tapping sound is gone, which was good. All right. So apparently we are broadcasting free and clear. Um, we were crushing it. So let's hope we, we were can crushing it. To do so. We're a little bit more than about 40 minutes behind schedule. <laughs> <laughs> and we want to thank everybody. There are people who stuck around um, and endured some things that were not really worth enduring. Um Thanks, people. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we apologize. Um, you missed some good stuff, though. Allie and I had some great conversations in the last half hour about all the songs we've been playing. And um, yeah, now we're going to rehash some of that. <laughs> maybe we'll do new things or maybe you'll get some things with canned laughter. Maybe we will. Um, but we might have to like rush through a few things, but we are going to back it up. So because um, eventually we'll piece the two parts together to make a complete episode, which we'll broadcast later. And we might even cut this stuff out because clearly. Uh, but this is amazing radio right now. This is amazing radio <laughs> right now. Thank you, Allie. Thank you so much. All right. After David Bowie's Cat People, um, we we played three songs, actually. Um, but the, the second song of the night uh, we played was uh, Major Tom by Peter Schilling. And this song... Uh, was a great song. I was commenting about how uh, the song has is, is panned quite often by a lot of music aficionados uh, or people who perceive themselves as such because they consider it to be like a poor man's version of Bowie's Major Tom. But really, space there's... Space oddity. Yeah, space oddity. But there's more to it than that. Right, Ali? Like I, I think so. Like, uh, I, I'm familiar with that criticism. Um, but um, I think... You know, how snobby do you have to be to criticize where someone gets inspiration from? Like, yeah, absolutely. You can, you can find inspiration for your songs from anywhere. And Peter Schilling makes a lot of like science fiction based music. So it kind of makes sense. And I love the audacity of writing an unofficial sequel to someone else's international <laughs> smash hit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, that Bowie guy put out a cool tune. I think I'm going to like continue that story, his story. I'm going to continue it. Exactly. Like I, I really want to write a prequel to uh, Beach Boys Sloop John B and figure out how that boat got a person's name. <laughs> well, and then it's canon and there's nothing the Beach Boys can do about absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's jump into the, some music that's uh, apparently that maybe the fans will like a little bit more tonight as they may laugh at our folly of the fact that we did a half hour show that wasn't uh, broadcast or recorded. Well, we had fun. We did. We enjoyed, we enjoyed ourselves, but not as much fun as Peter Schilling had writing Major Tom, uh, which we're going to play right now coming off the Atomic Blonde soundtrack.
that is Mr. Peter Schilling uh, with his unofficial sequel to Space Oddity and Major Tom and in his original language of uh, German. And oh, I forgot that it just stops right there. <laughs> it's all right. You're already talking. So we good. We are good. Um, yeah, it's interesting choice. And to just not only have um, like Major Tom playing after Bowie, you know, because that's obviously how the two things uh you know, they just, they, they tie together nicely for some, horribly for others. But uh, but for the movie itself, too, it becomes, it's starting to develop this, this very bleak theme in the songs. Because a lot of the songs, the songs are all picked by the director, obviously, to be very specific to this period. Um, the, the, the Cold War era of the 80s, specifically 1989, and the Berlin, was coming, Berlin Wall is coming down. So we're getting a lot of these tunes that have, this very um, feel good energy, feel good energy, and yet quite often very not feel good energy lyrics. The music's big, but this or the music's bouncy and happy, but the lyrics are quite depressing at times. Yeah, you can uh, you can dance around to a tale of Major Tom floating alone in space until he dies. You, can, you can. <laughs> which is you know I don't know is that is that anyone's dream. Like, well, I dream that for Jeff Bezos when he's up there. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Just he, to quietly float into oblivion. <laughs> and just, and just be done. Just yeah, be done. We're, we're done here. We're good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and I mean, that theme, that kind of running theme of like, we've got fire on gasoline and we've got a, a guy floating off into oblivion kind of deal. And the next song that we have off is super cheerful, su super <laughs> cheerful. Yeah. Musically very up, upbeat. And uh, on the drive into the studio tonight, I, I talked to you about the fact that like, I knew this song, I was very familiar with it, but I hadn't really looked at the lyrics before. And then today I was doing the extra research that I do. And I looked up the lyrics and I was like, this is horrifying. <laughs> It's such a bouncy, happy song, and yet the lyrics are absolutely horrifying. Yes, and that's why I love it. <laughs> so the song is that we're going to play next uh, is by uh, Susie and the Banshees, called "Cities in Dust." Yes, it is a um, it's a bit of a bop about um, you know the eruption of Mount Vesuvius and the resulting destruction of Pompeii and Herculaneum. Just not a fun time for anyone involved. No, not really. Uh, not at all. <laughs> and really, when you go and you read the lyrics, the lyrics. They're, they're very explicit as to what's happening. Yeah, they're not. Uh, Your not city sure lies in dust, my friend. Yeah, and it's not. And, and yet this this uh, juxtaposition of this, this happy, bouncy stuff um, combined with these bleak, bleak lyrics. Like, I don't know. Well, as bouncy as our goth queen gets. I guess. <laughs> I know kind of from that period when we look in through the 80s, like it's it, the movement of new wave and the, the evolution of dance music and stuff that kind of takes over and especially through Europe, um, you know, to kind of combine this with very like dark lyrics is, is yeah, it's unsettling. <laughs> I guess like, should you really be dancing to this stuff? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Some of some of the the best songs of the age are kind of like that, and yeah. I I enjoy the, as you said, juxtaposition. If we're using that word, uh, I, it's a word I used. I don't know if it was accurate or not. But also, I am biased towards um, danceable songs about classical European history. 
As, like if it's like fifteen hundred years plus old, yeah. Then you know that's uh that's some uh, ripe subject matter for something I can, I can hear in the club. That's <laughs> something you can you can bop to and get down with. I'd I'd say this and uh, the B 52s Mesopotamia kind of highlights um, the greatest period of time for that from nineteen eighty two to nineteen eighty six. So um, no Just, one stepped up to the plate to revive that yet, but I am patiently waiting. We need to. We need people to get on that genre of uh, writing dance music um, that's telling the stories of of historical events that have to be a minimum. Oh, what fifteen hundred? I'd say fifteen hundred. So 1, if you, if you want old? to talk about like Pliny the Elder or Ptolemy the Second, then that's cool. And, Do that and make it danceable. Yeah, well, obviously. Obviously. Okay, so for those of you musically inclined that are listening out there and are trying to like think about your next project, please consider uh, this wave of historical, classic, super classic historical uh, dance music. Uh, please, for please, me. Please, for Ali. Ali would like, would like you to consider that. Um, but right now, uh, at the moment, we're going to have you consider uh, some Susie and the Banshees and their Cities and Dust. Uh, it'll be the first of a double play, so settle in for two songs back-to-back -back that are not country.
And that is The Reflex with their song Politics of Dancing from the Atomic Blonde soundtrack from 2017. Um, the Reflex not to be considered with the Frankie Goes to Hollywood song, The Reflex. Um, also a jam, though? Also a jam, no, uh, no doubt. But yeah, this, uh, this particular song by The Reflex was uh, by a band that had a fairly short run musically. Um, didn't put out a lot of albums, but still managed to release a kind of greatest hits six CD compilation set after only putting out like two CDs in their five-year career. Impressive for a musical act to do that. It is. It's uh, an impressive feat of musical math, which I appreciate. <laughs> it is. Um, as far as the songs go, as far as fitting into the film, um, Cities of Dust, I can, it's probably pretty easy to equate that to the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um, I'd say so, yeah. Yeah, it seems to be a decent parallel in there. Um, but the politics of dancing is, to me, lyrically, it's not not very hard-hitting. It's pretty light, kind of fluffy, kind of goes along with the music. It is very danceable. Um, like, how does it fit within the film? Well, firstly, I think it does help to have a bit of a palate cleanser as well, right? Like, you don't want to just be all gloom all the t all the time dot com right I like <laughs> but um I, I like the placement of this in the movie because um i don't know some might say it seems a little straightforward and a little too too basic for placement because it does take place in a dance club mm -hmm. and uh during uh when this is happening this is where uh lorraine the protagonist meets up with uh the uh beautiful french operative delphine and um they uh, dance and there's politics, you know, like the Cold War spy craft going on, right? So it's very literally politics whilst dancing. Ah. And um, it's one thing I like about the soundtrack is that they do make almost obvious decisions like that for, for song choice. Like if you know the song and it fits there, put it there, great. But yeah. I think it makes everything feel really cohesive and like it's like a two-hour music video, which I really like. <laughs> it's I think it's a, it's a great stylistic choice and why I find it's very immersive. Right, And I just really get into it because it seems to have a consistent flow with everything you see um, and everything you hear at the same time. And this, uh, this scene is also another great use of the uh, bisexual lighting that is used throughout the movie. <laughs> Which you are a fan of. It's, I am. Yeah, as you said, like when you saw the trailer and you even kind of picked oh, up on the hints and... Well, like the the blue, uh, blue, pink, and purple look great together, anyways. Especially yeah. like it's it's used heavily in the club scenes and in uh, Lorraine's flat as well. And uh, it's in the last few years, it's become increasingly popular in film to use to just uh, subtly indicate that one of the characters is bi. Hmm. That's that's I, you know what, and I did not know that. I did not pick up on that. So thank you. That was actually that's pretty cool. And I haven't to be full disclosure, I haven't seen the film yet. Um, I did get, I did, um, through the assistance of my girlfriend, uh, cause she has a library card and I'm don't cause I'm a loser, I guess. I don't know. Um, Ooh. yeah, I know I should get a library card, but my girlfriend, uh, got the, the, um, coldest city for me and I did read through it and it was it, it, having listened to the soundtrack and kind of knowing what I was getting into, I could place certain songs, even in the book. Um, super appropriate. Everything just fits so, so well. It does. Like, I think they were, they were excellent choices for the film. And, uh, like if you want to nitpick any part of the movie, the book, the soundtrack, like it, you know, you can, you can pick it apart if you like, like, but it's imperfect parts make a very enjoyable whole. I found. Yeah. Wise, wise words. Thank you. Right? I do those sometimes. <laughs> can I ask you if you do something else? Maybe. Do you run? So far? 
So far away? So far away, yes, I do. You do? Well, that's then you might run into some seagulls, maybe a flock of them. That's more than a couple. That's more than a couple. Was that a terrible segue? No. No? Okay. That was a great one. Great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> As uh, those astute listeners may have picked up, our next song <laughs> is by the band A Flock of Seagulls. Um, is During it- an escape scene, actually. So another one that obviously ties in is so- they are trying to escape and they are running far away far away there we go so uh let's just roll let's run into the song as people run so far away uh again flock of seagulls with that's a little much that's a little much (laughs) sorry across the line a flock of seagulls with their biggest hit uh, i ran so far away from the atomic blonde soundtrack
That, of course, is the legendary Flock of Seagulls with their song, I Ran So Far Away. Um, yeah, huge, huge mega hit for them. Uh, and probably the only song that most people know. Um, yeah, they're kind of remembered as like one song and a haircut, but they actually had a, had a few other hits, and they actually won a Grammy in 83 for a song that wasn't I Ran. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. It's actually an instrumental song called DNA. And so it's not that common that it, just an instrument instrumental from like a new wave band would win a Grammy, but it did. Huh. That's, that's very cool. Cause, and to be fair, I'm only kind of familiar with flock of seagulls for the one hit and for the haircut. So 98% um, of people are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm in the 98%. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. It's not. Okay. I will work on it. I will look into flock of seagulls a little bit more deeply and go uh, a bit further into the catalog. And uh, maybe some of the other listeners will, I think there's a couple of people on here tonight who probably already knew them for more than, than just Iran. Um, and as you alluded to beforehand, the Iran part is actually, very fitting in the movie because, you know, the protagonist is running, escaping from... Well, most of it, they're actually driving. Ah. But still, it's it's an escape part. Cool, cool car chase. Cool car chase, yes. Cool car chase. Every spy movie needs a cool car chase. It does. It's, it's a prerequisite. It's a prerequisite. Speaking of prerequisites, it is that time of the program where we talk about the film uh, from a commercial standpoint, I guess, uh, along with some of the comic uh, info as well. Uh, so... Atomic Blonde was released July 20th of 2017 uh, after debuting earlier in the year at South by Southwest uh, Film Festival. Uh, it was made for $30 million but grossed $100 million at the box office, which is even even in modern terms, like, well, not that kind of blockbuster movie. Like, that's it's profitable and then some. Still a good return on investment. Very yes. good return on investment. Uh, it stars Charlize Theron, who uh, also produced the film. She optioned it after reading an uh, an incomplete version of the book uh, in 2011, I guess, 2011 or early 2012 before it was uh, published uh, and liked it so much that she optioned it and put it in motion to get the, uh, to get the film made. Uh, it has a lot of ties to the John Wick film series. Um, sure does. Yeah, for starters, uh, the director, David Lech, is, uh, he actually left John Wick 2 to come and direct Atomic Blonde. And, and it was a key part of John Wick 1. Yeah, very much so. And um, it was, Atomic Blonde was being filmed at the same time as John Wick 2 was. So uh, Charlize and Keanu actually like competitively trained with each other or against each other. There was, there was like a lot of like, oh, uh, one upmanship, one woman upship. Yeah. One person up. Show. You know, words. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have even said anything there. No, that's entirely cool. Um, they, they would actually even like train together and spar with each other, uh, which is pretty awesome. Like, and, and I didn't realize that the films were very connected. There's some very similar kind of um, in the movie version of the book. Uh, the movie version kind of has leans into the John Wick stuff a little bit more where the protagonist Lorraine does more um, than what happens in the book. Cause in the book, there's not a lot of action. It is very much the spy thriller type of. Uh, yeah, it's it's more of, of like a classical, like like a, almost like a like a Lacar uh, spy novel, and it's yeah. like there's there's one fight that's I think all of about four panels, <laughs> and that's the uh, for people who know the movie, the only fight that's actually in the book is sort of the stairwell fight after the shooting, right? And um, yeah, and that's it. Like it build it. 
it just trusts storytelling and the script to uh, to build the suspense and and the action and to uh, uh, rope the reader in. Yeah, and it does pretty good job of it. Um, I enjoyed the story. The art style wasn't particularly what I loved, um, but now now that I know more about the film and stuff too, I'm actually kind of looking forward to seeing the movie. Um, uh, as we've talked about throughout, the soundtrack was designed to speak to the Cold War era of what was going on there uh, and, of course, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um, and once the movie was finished, there was actually almost immediate talk of a sequel, uh, even a potential John Wick crossover where they would have um, the two people kind of connect. Currently, it's being discussed as a, a Netflix film uh, so we'll see if that actually kind of gets off the ground uh, as we did mention earlier as well it's based off of the comic series uh, the comic graphic novel technically uh, the coldest city which even though it was published first is uh, a sequel to the coldest winter which gets published several years later um, but uh, the writer anthony johnson um, had kind of some good reception and good success to the coldest city that he did the prequel coldest winter uh, later on which uh, i'm looking forward to reading i didn't want to read it ahead because i'm easily confused <laughs> as you can tell if i just like a minute ago and i tried to use words there you go. it happens to the best of us um anthony johnson uh kind of is noted within the comics community mostly for his series wasteland uh which is a very popular kind of post-apocalyptic uh, series that was published through Oni. Uh, he also did some work at uh, Marvel, writing uh, several series about uh, Wolverine and issues of Daredevil. Um, but Johnson began his career as a graphic designer. Uh, and when he actually ended up reading a book about writing comics, um, became more inspired to go and write comics. Uh, and he did a bunch of independent stuff, working in a lot of um, fantasy and horror genre type things uh, before he kind of moved on um, doing more of the things that he really wanted to do, which apparently was having a great interest in, in spy thrillers and that sort of stuff. Uh, when The Coldest City was released, uh, initially in May of 2012, it sold about 636 copies to the direct market, uh, which for an Oni Press book is very respectable. Uh, but when the book was re-released in 2017 uh, with the Atomic Blonde label on it and Char uh, Charlize Theron on the cover, uh, that initial print run sold 861 copies to the direct market, which is just a comic store. So it outsold its original run and then continued to sell strongly throughout 2017 as the movie did fairly well. So, uh, you know, good on everyone involved for, you know, making a cool story and, and catching, catching the eye of a, of a Hollywood star and, and making something cool out of it. Um, yeah. So that's kind of a little bit of the insight between the, well, at least the, the commercial end of things, the numbers game. Yeah, a bit of a kind of bigger picture there. Yeah, which is always kind of neat. So let's uh, let's get away from the numbers. Oh, right. actually, no, we're not, not going to get away, away from the numbers yet. No, we're not away from the numbers. I apologize. My bad. I got ahead of myself. Uh, there's, there's numbers in the next song. <laughs> there is, yes. It is um, another familiar song, but also not the version. This one is a cover that was actually made specifically for the movie. Mm -hmm. um, it's slowed down and it's a little darker. Um, yeah, I agreed. Bit. Agreed. It's very. But, but yeah. the the original song is actually used earlier in the film as well, and um, I guess I've teased enough that it is ninety nine lift balloons. Yes. <laughs> and the first time it's used in the film is um, I really enjoyed. It. It's one of my favorite scenes. It's uh, where one of the uh, communist agents is interrogating a bunch of kids to see if they saw anything, and 
forces one to awkwardly break dance to this song, which is amazing. <laughs> and um, yeah, and uh, this one, this version happens at a uh, very much darker time than that, <laughs> where just things are starting to kind of fall apart, and this yeah. kind of uh, reflects that vibe. Wow. So that's why I chose this version instead of the famous original. Oh, fair enough. Uh, we will do a double shot. So right after we hear uh, this cover version of 99 Love Balloons, uh, there'll be a second song to kind of close out the evening, and we'll talk a little bit about that tune uh, when we're done. So right now, why don't we uh, kick off uh, a version of 99 Love Balloons by... Kalida? Kalida? Kalida, we'll say. Um, Settle folks. It's, it's, uh, it's a good tune. It's a good version. And we hope you enjoy. Hast du etwas Zeit für mich? Singe ich ein Lied für dich von 99 Luftballons auf ihrem Weg zum Horizont. Denkst du vielleicht gerade an mich? Singe ich ein Lied für dich von 99 Luftballons, dass sowas von sowas kommt.
is The Clash with their hit London Calling. Um, relating to the film, I guess kind of London was calling in a way. Yes, yeah. without giving too much away. Yes, it also uh, fit in in a literal sense as well. Yeah. And um, it, I think it's a, a great way to um, 
it's a great way to finish off the musical parts here with the being the last song and all because like it also brings things up a little off of that um cheery cover of 99 left balloons <laughs> very <laughs> very cheery i thought <clears throat> i remember when i learned what the lyrics originally were or what they meant uh when the song came out back in the 80s because as, as a teenager i was just listening to music not really focused or paying attention and of course mm -hmm. as you get older you start to like hey you should learn what the words of this song mean and i'm like oh that's unfortunate that kind of sucks a little bit and then someone could take that song and it's like okay now we're going to take a song that's kind of sad and depressing and we're going to slow it down <laughs> we're going to make it even more now you're going to feel it we're going to take away the pop bubbliness of it and we're going to make you feel the song um i i got that thank you for introducing me to that version yeah no i'm, I'm a big fan of that one hadn't heard of uh haven't heard of uh them before so that was good and they, you said they were, is that the ones they were, they're a two piece, they were a two piece techno band. Yeah. And that was, um, actually this was, um, their off their debut album. So they were, uh, super new when this happened. That's very cool. That is very cool. Um, everything has been fantastic. Uh, I, I enjoyed all of the music. Thank you so much for bringing this. Would we be able to talk about London calling a bit? You absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's obviously more to it than just. You know, yeah. just as playing it on the list. Yeah, sorry to mean to cut you off, but like, oh, no. um, cut me off. But 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 yeah, no, it's just um, I I love the power that it comes in when they're just playing all their instruments at the same time and creating that sort of like pulsing. You know, this is going to be intense. Yeah. And um, uh, Joe Strummer, the the lead singer, he was just a big uh, he was a big news fan. Like he was a news junkie. And there's a lot of uh, catastrophic, uh, news stories around in the UK at the time. And so the lyrics are kind of um, pulled from a bunch of those. Like it was, you know, he's talking about uh, Three Mile Island and police violence and climate change, just all into one sort of painting a picture of doom and gloom, like a lot of the songs so far have done. So yes. this is just like everything is coming together into one fierce song. And um, a little fun fact is Joe Strummer actually uh, wrote an article about the the rising water levels of the Thames, and as a result, they actually reinforced the banks. Oh, like so, he <laughs> they were about grassroots change, and in this case, actually affected some. Yeah, and, well, and, and I mean, it was pushed forward by the popularity of the song "London Calling" as well. That's impressive. That is, and I mean, as you mentioned, that there's a lot of bits in that song um, that are even still relevant today. That you know, absolutely, very, very relevant. That people. This was in 1979. That was written. It's like the I believe the <laughs> oldest song on the soundtrack here, so and uh, possibly the most relevant for today. Mr. Strummer was well ahead of his time. Yeah, it's unfortunate that we uh, we couldn't do a little bit more to make this song less relevant. Yeah, as it were. And on that chipper note. Yes. See, I just wanted to. I want to keep the uh, keep the mood light and fun and airy. No, absolutely. And that, that's why I'm here as a guest. <laughs> the the music the music has been uh, light, fun, and airy. The lyrics have been um, gut punching and 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 almost hurtful at times. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but again, I guess that's what kind of makes the soundtrack as effective as it is and, and work as well as it did in the movie. So uh, if you haven't seen atomic blonde, uh, apparently like it's, it's a, it's a good, it's a good film. Um, you know, maybe give it a check out. And if you like the soundtrack, of course, obviously uh, check out more stuff. And, and as speaking of uh, learning more about other things, what more can we learn about you, Ali, that you would like to share? Um, well, uh, on most social media, my handle is either totally rad or, 
totally radical, but spelled Ali like my name, A-L-L-I-E. So um, I sometimes post things and it's kind of amusing. I'm working on a couple fairly major writing projects right now. One is a um, nonfiction piece called How to Achieve Happiness and Very Little Else. <laughs> and I'm excited about that, but that one's probably a little off. And the next one is um, kind of ties in here is I am writing a uh, bit of a comedy suspense crime thing uh, calling crime trained crime train to berlin Crime train to berlin which is basically cool. kind of like the agatha christie crime on a train but it's not murders it's just other crimes that aren't <laughs> normally happening on trains oh okay <laughs> and um then the the passengers because this is the early part of train travel uh they don't realize that there is actually a separate law that applies to trains just like nautical law or maritime law applies on seas okay that uh people are caught up in this bizarre legal system that they don't understand where crimes are prosecuted and sentences are carried out during the train ride. <laughs> also, I'm working on a new mustard. <laughs> you are you are a very big fan of mustard, and uh, and I look forward to not only reading your train book, <laughs> hopefully start of the best selling crime train series, <laughs> and I look forward to uh, trying your mustard when it comes out. It's spicy. It'll. <laughs> I expect absolutely nothing less. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. I had such a great time. It was so much fun. My pleasure, Jay. Thanks. Oh, it was great. Uh, please, uh, hopefully, uh, everyone tune in to next week's episode uh, where my guest will be uh, husband, father, voice actor, teacher, and adaptive human of Earth in a current vessel, Brendan Hunter. Uh, as we check out the soundtrack, uh, this is actually going to be a first for the show. We're checking out a soundtrack. Uh, of a cartoon series that is based off of a web comic. So nice. most of all the other stuff has just been like That's the traditional things. Comic. It is a lot of things. So uh, looking forward to having Mr. Brendan Hunter here next week with me. Uh, once again, I am your host, Jay Bardilla, and I would like to thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you will tune in with us again next week. Have a great night, folks. 